You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: the roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. The thing that was so hard about Sacramento, Grant, is that, I mean, we, we had sellout crowds every night. And we put up, there were some teams out that we put out on the floor that were pretty shitty. And, and, and I was a part of them. I'm, I'm not pointing at, you know, it was, you know, those four guys were crap and I was great. I mean, I was part of that. And again, that's one thing if you were the Clippers back then and you're playing and nobody cared, the Sacramento cared. I think you're going to like today's show. Great to have you on board right here. A couple of uh, housekeeping notes. Don't forget about my YouTube rants, if you don't like that, with Grant Napier. And particularly if you are listening via the Apple podcast platform, please rate me, leave a comment. It's greatly appreciated. Hey, not only do we have a great guest today, but I've got my Crowd Ultra Q&A and, of course, my rant as we get you right into the weekend. Today's podcast is brought to you by Roy's Umbrella for all of your home loan needs. Buying a new home, looking to do a refi? Take advantage of the unbelievable low rates right now. Just go to roysumbrella.com. No tricks, no hidden fees, no surprises at the end. I've used Roy. I've worked with Roy and his staff. They're awesome. You will love what they do for you. Again, for all of your home loan needs, just go to roysumbrella.com. That's roysumbrella.com. My guest on the podcast played 15 years in the NBA. He was the first ever draft pick of the Sacramento Kings back in 1985, taking sixth overall. He is now in the restaurant business. Really one of the, the great guys that I've ever had the pleasure of being around in my 32 years of announcing NBA basketball. The only mistake that I have made in getting ready to do this podcast is that I'm doing it over the phone instead of sitting at Corky's Ribs and Barbecue <laughs> eating some of that damn good food. Joe Klein, how are you, sir? I hear you, Grant. I wish you were here. I, I'd like that. We'd probably have to have a couple uh, cold beverages to go with that food <laughs> if we were doing it here. Uh, we won't tell anybody that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we would. You know, speaking of the restaurant and, and Corky's, what impact has the pandemic had on your business over the last 12 months? Oh, I mean, it's definitely impacted us. You know, we had a big catering business and we had, you know, rooms in our restaurants that accommodate parties. And as you know, those things all went by the wayside. And so, you know, it was a, it was a good, good, good hit. You know, I mean, it, you know, as all restaurants are talking about, I mean, you know, we, we felt it primarily in those two areas the most. 
What's the biggest key to having a successful restaurant, ribs and barbecue? What's the key? Well, I think, uh, you know, if you're the owner, uh, you need to be there. You need to have a presence. You need to be uh, watching how things are done and who's doing them and holding people accountable. It's uh, always equated to, you know, because people are always wanting us to uh, open another restaurant here and open another restaurant there and so on and so forth. And I always look at them and I go, I have two kids. I don't (laughs) want any more. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. so it's like it's like having kids i mean you gotta you gotta stay on top of them when you look back at your career 15 years all of the incredible players that were teammates of yours but when you came out of arkansas you know and i know you were a high draft pick but if somebody told you then joe you're gonna play 15 years in the nba would have you said yeah i am or would have that been surprising to you when you were that young i think it would have been surprising I mean, you know, it's so different now, Grant, than it was back then. I mean, kids think about the NBA in the seventh, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. I mean, I, I didn't really, the NBA didn't really kind of come to the forefront of my attention until I was on the Olympic team. And we were in the Olympic trials, and a lot of the guys that were teammates of mine got drafted. And, you know, we, and, I, and they, we, we were with them. <laughs> you know, sure. so it kind of was like, you know, well, hey, they're getting drafted, you know, uh, you know, I may get drafted, you know, so that's kind of like when it kind of resonated that um, this is a, a possibility. So, um, you know, I, that's why I would probably say, you know, you have 15 years. I, I mean, I don't believe it. And I still don't believe it. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, I think now kids think about it so much and it's so it's covered so um, much more intensely now than when I was in college and in high school and so on and so forth that, uh, you know, I, I think kids, you know, really focus more. I focused on going to college and playing ball. I think kids now focus on going into the NBA and making money and playing ball more so. Joe, you talked about the Olympics 84, winning a gold medal. That experience in your life, your career, 15 years. But take me back to that experience and how you would rate that among all the great things that have happened to you. Well, it's right up there, Grant. I mean, from a from a from a athletic standpoint, it's it's at the top. I mean, it's it's not even close. I mean, what we had to go through. Uh, in the trials with Buddy Knight, and there were 70, I think, five players that got invited, and all of them are great players. And, you know, you start looking back at, you know, who made the team and who didn't, and uh, how, you know, the two a days and the practicing on a hard rubber tartans, you know, basically track service, uh, and just the games and the practices and how hard they were and how competitive they were. And then again, you know, you think about the guys who didn't make it and you just kind of sit there and go, you know, I mean, how the hell did I make that team? Sure. <laughs> I mean, it's just kind of like, you know, and, and, and again, you know, back when you're going through it, it's a day by day thing. You know, it's, we got practice at 10, let's, you know, go kick some butt from 10 to 12. And you just kind of worried about that. And then you worried about where you're going to eat. And then you went to the next practice and you kind of, but when you kind of sit back after, you know, so many years and you kind of look at it, and, you know, you see the guys that, that tried out, you're just like, you know, 
wow. I mean, it's just it's hard. Just like I said, I, I can't believe I made the team. I mean, it's just you know, it's really fortunate. Joe, what was it like playing for Bobby Knight? You know, I liked it, Grant, because you know I, I was coming from Eddie Sutton, and so Coach Sutton wasn't as intense, and he wouldn't get on you as hard verbally like Coach Knight would. But um, you know. I mean, it, we had the same kind of practices. I think that's what really helped me. We played our defensive principles or all the drills and everything and the passing game and the things that he was teaching during the trials, I've been doing for three years, four years. So, and the, and the, and the verbiage was the same and, and, and all that. So I enjoyed it. And, and, and I enjoyed playing for him because, I mean, he was, he was fair. I mean, he, he didn't play favorites. Um, you know, he, he got on to Michael Jordan just like he got on to me. And, uh, and you know, you respect that because uh, it's not like there's a set of rules for somebody and then there's a set of rules for you and then there's a set of rules. I mean, it's like, this is how we're going to do it. This is what we want done. And we expect you to do it. Talk, I was okay with that. Yeah, you talked, you just mentioned 80 Sutton and I had totally forgotten that you started your collegiate career at Notre Dame, and I've never even talked to you about this. What was it? Yeah. What what happened at Notre Dame? Why did things not work out there for you? Why was that not the right fit for you? Well, well, Grant, I, I love Notre Dame. I still love Notre Dame. Uh, I look back at that decision I made, probably one of the hardest decisions of my life. I mean, I grew up Catholic in a very devout Catholic family. We followed Notre Dame from when I was you know little. We you know remember Lindsey Nelson would come on Sunday after. You know, before sure. we had a, you know, before every game was televised, and before you know you could watch anything you wanted whenever you wanted to watch it. The only time you could see Sunday was Sunday morning was Notre Dame. Lindsey Nelson would come on, and there'd be a half hour highlight show, and, <laughs> and you know he'd always go, "Yeah, well now we move on to further action, you know, to action." <laughs> in the you know, and right. I, mean, I always remember, I right. always remember that, and and uh, so grew up a fan, uh, you know, just. When I went up there, fell in love with it, just everything, just, you know, but the basketball didn't work, uh, Grant, and, you know, and, and they didn't they didn't have a kind of structure that I needed from the standpoint of, you know, we didn't lift weights, we, you know, Coach Phelps was very, wanted you to work on your studies and things like that, which is great, and, you know, there wasn't a lot of preseason work except you know, playing pickup ball, there was no weights, there was no running, there was no individual work and things like that. And then, and again, had I been more mature and, and had I been knowing that I needed to do that, you know, but I don't think any kid at 18 years old is, is good enough to, to, those are very rare. And so I just needed more structure. I needed a better coach that could help develop me. And I mean, I think Digger Phelps was a good man and everything, but he just, Grant, he wasn't for me, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just, you know, I tried and wanted it to work, but I did not enjoy playing basketball for Coach Phelps. And again, that's no, I don't want that to come across as he's a bad person or, you know, and again, like I just stated earlier, if, if I would have worked harder and done a lot of the things that I did at Arkansas, I would have been more successful. But again, I was a young man and I needed somebody to push me in that direction and show me the things I needed to be doing and show me and hold me accountable. And I wasn't getting that at Notre Dame. You talk about college, 
you end up going to Sacramento, the sixth overall pick. The team had just moved from Kansas City. Was that a culture shock for you going out to California and Sacramento back uh, then? Well, you know, not, not, I thought it was going to be uh, because, you know, I thought I was going to California. And, you know, everybody equates California to the coast and L.A. and, you know, San Francisco and all that. And, <laughs> right. You know, and, sure. And when I got out there, I mean, I was in I was in a farm town. I mean, really. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, right. You, I you, right. Mean you know, what's a good point. Hey, real quick. I, 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 Joe, I Joe, that, Joe, I, I had, I had disrespectfully. Yeah. I say that disrespectfully no, at all. no, Joe, I had Reggie Theus on the show a couple of weeks ago and he talked to the guys when they moved from Kansas City to Sacramento and they were all excited. California and Reggie goes, Hey guys, let me, let me try to explain <laughs> something to you. All right? yeah. <laughs> hey, yeah. You're not really going to California, so don't get too excited. Right. right? Right. Uh, and, and I mean, but again, that was, it was better for me because I was from Arkansas, Missouri. So, I mean, I, I thought it was great. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Sure. I mean, I, I, I thought I fit in. I, I loved it. I still love it. I, I thought it was, I mean, my wife and I, I mean, we, we adore Sacramento. I mean, it was just a, just a great you know time in our life. I mean, we still have friends out there. And I mean, we, we thoroughly, we, we were sad to leave. I mean, the, the, you know, the basketball was horrible and that you know we couldn't sustain anything and we, you know we were changing things you know weekly coaches and sure players and things and there's just not a lot of stability there but you know i mean we we were we were very sad that it that it didn't work out we wanted it to you know we would have hoped that we wouldn't have had a problem staying there our whole career i mean it's a great town i say jerry reynolds and you say what good guy i i i you know, I, I thought I think he was sincere. I mean, when he when he coached, I mean, I thought pushed into a situation that he wasn't quite ready for, but he embraced it. He was very, he was a great communicator. He felt like he was on your side, that he was in your corner, and I, I loved playing for him. You talk about you didn't want to leave Sacramento, and uh, you left in the most bizarre, unbelievable story <laughs> in the history of trades. As you're in the yeah. delivery room, getting ready for the birth of your yeah. first child, and the nurse comes in, yeah. and uh, you, you you tell the story because it happened these, to you. It didn't happen are, to me. Speaking of Jerry Reynolds, these these are not words you want to hear as your wife's pushing out your firstborn kid. <laughs> Jerry Reynolds is on the phone and needs to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> you're, kind of, you're kind of like, what the hell? Who? What the hell does Jerry want? Wow. Wow. And it's urgent you need to talk to him. So I went out, you know, and then, you know, the trade with Boston was going down. And I had some incentives, I think it was, in my contact grant that with Sacramento were legit incentives. But with Boston, they were not legit, and so I think the NBA had. I think what the NBA had some issues, or Boston had some issues because it messed up the cap, or it was like it was a cap problem, and I had to I had to agree to waive those for the, the trade to, to go through, and 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 I I did so. Joe, when you look back at that period of time, correct me if I'm wrong. You had 48 hours with your wife and your newborn. And then you're yeah. gone, and I don't believe you saw your wife and baby for five weeks or so. Was that as difficult a period of time that you've ever had oh, yeah. in your life? No, it was. Yeah, it, I mean, it. You know, it puts things in perspective real quick. I mean, uh, yeah, Daniel was born Thursday morning. I was on all nighter Friday night, and I didn't see him. You know, the trading deadline was around. And you know, I saw them. Uh, yeah, five, six weeks later, you know. So, and I mean, you know, my wife had to go, you know, my wife's mom, 
Daniel came a couple weeks early, so my, you know, all the in-laws and my mom and everything who had scheduled to come out, you know, the week that he was going to be born to to help, you know, they were nobody was able to come because you know they were doing stuff and 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 had to obligate, you know, their time that they had allotted for that was down the line, and so you know, my wife had to come home to a, to a empty house. I mean, we had friends that that our neighbors and stuff and uh, Kim O'Brien and Chris O'Brien, you know, they, you know, they helped and everything, but there was no family there. So, I mean, she had it, she had it rough too. She had it just as bad as I did. Well, you talk about getting traded and all of a sudden, you know, you look up at the Boston Garden Rafters and the history of being with that franchise. That had to be an unbelievable experience, Joe. Yeah, that was, uh, you know, and again, I mean, no disrespect to Sacramento, but I mean, I went from a, and I mean, Grant, you, you saw it. I mean, when, sure. you, when you and you, you've been around teams that struggle. I mean, when when teams struggle, it's every man for himself. I mean, it, it, you, you got guys that are. I mean, you're you, you're fighting. You know, you can see that this isn't working, and the team's not doing any good. And so you start trying to get yours. You start trying to get your numbers because you're trying to get another contractor. You're trying to improve your status with the team, and so on and so forth. And and so that culture at Sacramento, unfortunately, was there, you know, primarily a lot for the years that I, that I was in there, uh, that I was there. I mean, because we were struggling and we weren't, we weren't good enough. And, and, you know, I was, you know, I was part of that problem. I'm not pointing at everybody else. I mean, I, I, I was in that scene too. And so, uh, uh, but when you get to Boston, it's like, when we don't, we don't care. <laughs> sure. We're win- we're winning this game, and if you got a problem with that, then you're in the wrong place. And it was very re- it was very refreshing. Uh, felt like a- I'd been reborn because you know that's how I'd been taught basketball my whole life, and uh, it was it was like you said, you looked up there when you know some they weren't just saying when, like you said, you look up in the rafters and you go, yeah, winning's important here. <laughs> sure. And, and you know, you, you talk about Sacramento and you loved it there. I mean, I would just think, you know, the, the, the environment at the Arco one, 10,333, then 7,000, what, 317 at Arco. I mean, that place was unbelievable. It was packed every night, the electricity. But, man, there's just something about going to Boston and the fans and, you know, obviously pre-internet and all of that stuff. But But you knew when you walk in to play there, you say what you want about the Red Sox and the Patriots and everything, but the Bruins, but man, like, you know that you're like the main, the main, the main item on the platter, right? I mean, that, can you just oh, even yeah. put that in perspective, what it was like in that period of time with those players on that team in that city? I mean, there, that had to be just, I can't even oh. understand what it would have been like for someone like you that didn't experience that because you were playing in such a small town like Sacramento. Well, Grant, I mean, back then we didn't, we didn't uh, charter either. Right. Imagine ro- imagine rolling through Chicago O'Hare on a, on a con- <laughs> getting to your connecting flight and you're walking with Larry Bird, Kevin McHale, and Robert Parrish through, you know, <laughs> or or you got a layover and you and you walk into the to the airport bar and you look over there to your right and there's you know the Celtics sitting in there having a beer while they wait on their plane, you know. Right. So, I mean, it was just and that, I think you, you felt it in the garden, but you really felt it on the road. Because all of a sudden, you know, when, when I was in Sacramento, we'd go play the Clippers and, you know, you might have 3,000 people there. 
you know. Sure. But when the boss when the Celtics rolled in, it was sold out. And it was mostly Celtics, and that was everywhere you went. So I mean, you were you kind of went from you know uh, the opening act to the main attraction, and that was that was really cool. A couple of uh, months ago, we lost Tommy Heinsohn. Uh, yeah. I was talking with Ian Thompson, longtime writer for Sports Illustrated, uh, great basketball mind in terms of writing. And we 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 talked a lot about Tommy Heinsohn. Any stories stick out that you can share about being around Tommy Heinsohn? Well, I just I always remember uh, Tommy was a smoker. And, you know, when they when they started that, you can't smoke on the planes and you can't smoke on the bus. When that damn plane landed, and that, or that bus stopped, his ass was out the door and firing up a heater. I can tell you that right away. Him, him and Johnny Most, right? <laughs> him and Johnny Most, man. They they were, they were, they were, they were popping on the back of that on the back of them packs, and trying to get that stuff right. And, you know, I mean, we used to always laugh, but I mean, he, no, he was just good. He was, a, you know, he'd have a drink with you, and he, you know, he was just like what you saw. You know, very. Uh, you know, he comes across gruff and hard, but he, I mean, he was a good guy and just, just a, a hard nosed old school guy, but had a great heart. It was a lot of fun to be around. Speaking of a lot of fun, I had Jason Hare on the show back in November or December. I've gotten to know him very well for those listening right now that aren't familiar with the name. He was the director of the last dance and you were part of the last dance. What was that like sitting back all these years later, watching that documentary? It was, it was strange because I mean, uh, well, first of all, Grant, when they, when Jason, you know, he was emailing me and stuff about doing an interview about Michael Jordan. And I was like, sure. And he, you know, and he kept emailing me and, you know, I'm going to be in town and I'm like, you know, great man, come on. You know, and, and I didn't understand what was going on. I thought it was some dude that was going to come into the uh, restaurant and set up a tripod and mic me up and ask me a few questions. <laughs> so the so the day the day the guy showed up, I mean, he had a lighting crew, uh, had a sound guy. You know, he said it's going to take us about an hour to set up for your interview, and I'm like, I'm like, okay, now hold on, that now what are y'all doing? Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, I'm, sure. I'm like, He's like, you know, we're doing a, you know, a 10 part documentary for ESPN or whomever it was, yep. 30, you know, 30. And, and he goes, uh, it's a very entailed look at the, we're calling it the last dance. And I was like, oh, so it started kind of, it made sense then. And so, but I think in watching it, it was, uh, it was just funny because you just, you forgot about a lot of stuff, you know, you just you're kind of sitting there and you're like, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> you know, sure. like, yeah, I remember that. And just kind of got to take a trip down memory lane and you got to see, you know, how wild it was, the environment, you know, not only within the team, but around the team and outside the team and the, the circus that was, you know, 24 seven going on all the time. It, <laughs> you, know, you just, at the time you just kind of, again, it was just when you're in it, you don't, you don't see it it's like like it really is. You just got too much going on and things you're trying to deal with day to day stuff and you don't but when you kinda of, after all these years you sit back and they and you look at it, it's like, you know, it was crazy. I mean it was like sure. it was like being with the Beatles. 
<laughs> yeah, no, I mean, the, the video and, uh, you know, and I uh, shared a couple of meals with Jason, you know, just talking about everything. And it was just absolutely mind boggling. Again, I, I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, that you, you know, you've been blessed to play with some great, great players. But being around Michael Jordan and going through that experience, what was that like? Well, I, I thought Jason and them did a great job of showing, and I think Michael, because I mean Michael allowed. I'm sure Michael had final say in everything, and so I like the fact that they showed that he could be a real hard ass, you know, and 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 that he could, he was a demanding guy and a and a hard dude on and off the floor, and so I mean I was privileged enough that I knew Michael from the Olympic team and had a had a relationship with beforehand, so I mean. I'm not going to say he and I were buddy, buddy and friends, but, you know, we'd gone through some stuff with Coach Knight together that was that was fun and, and kind of bonding. And so, I mean, I had a good relationship with him, and I was thankful for that. And so I think that helped me with the Bulls a little bit, you know, be a little more accepted and so on and so forth. But, I mean, he just – he's a demanding dude, man. Just, I mean, it was, I mean, they painted the picture very – I mean, he – he put in the work. He wanted to win. Those things were paramount to him, and he wanted people around him that wanted to work and wanted to win. And if you didn't, if you weren't cool with that or didn't, that wasn't a priority of yours. There was going to be a problem. Did you know the entire year? I mean, Phil talked about the last dance. Was it truly that apparent to everyone on that team that, regardless of what happened that season, that was it? that this was the end yep. of this legacy, this dynasty, this chapter, that that, that that was well known throughout the locker room from day one? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, when they, they called me, like, the day, I mean, it was kind of weird. I was a free agent, and, you know, I was, I think I was in Slater, Missouri. It was around the 4th of July, and I was visiting my mom, and we were all there for the 4th with my brothers and everything. And, you know, like, you know, now it's like, you know, we're going to call Kevin Durant at midnight, you know. On, sure so on and so forth and they didn't do that but like the first day of free agency I mean I wasn't expecting any calls at all and you know or you know mid-morning I get a call from Chicago Bulls you know saying hey we, we want to sign you we want you to to uh to be to be with us next year and it was kind of like you know whoa and but I remember saying, uh, you know, because Phil hadn't signed anything, and I remember telling him, I said, you know, I'm not going to do anything until I see that Phil Jackson is on board. Uh, because, again, even up till then, there was that summer before, there was talk that, that he wasn't, he wasn't going to come back. And I knew if he didn't come back, the odds of Michael and Scotty and a lot of them other guys, I mean, that, that would have been the, the first domino to fall. So, I remember telling him that I don't have a problem signing with you, but I'm not doing anything till I know Phil's going to be on board. Hmm. So, how about that? So well, that was that was, you know, it. No, it was all year long. It was pretty much known that this was it. When you think back to whether it was playing college, you talk about the Olympics. You talk about 15 years in the NBA. Other than a family member, is there one person that had the biggest influence? on your basketball career? Well, no, it'd be Coach Sutton, without a doubt. I mean, he, you know, I, I came from, you know, I was a very highly recruited uh, high school player who went to Notre Dame and pretty much fell flat on his face. And, 
Um, and, you know, he, you know, he built me back up and uh, pushed me and got on me and, you know, he got, he got, got my confidence back and, and, you know, just all those things that you got to have as a player. And there's no doubt that, you know, without him, I don't think I'd have played a, a second in the NBA. Wow. Was your confidence, maybe confidence isn't the right word, but you talked about that experience with Digger. Were you kind of like at ground zero when you got to play Freddie? I mean, did you say he built you back up. Were you that deflated, that defeated when you got there? I don't know if I was that bad, but I was lacking confidence. I mean, because you know, I hadn't, I hadn't been out on the floor. I, you know, I had, I had games at Notre Dame where I did okay, but you know, I just and you know, Coach Sutton was a lot better. At, you know, he he came across real gruff and everything, but he he was very good at complimenting you and. You know, he treated, you know, he talked to you like uh, it wasn't just basketball, you know, and he, he'd tell you that he loved you and, and that and he would show you and, and things like that. So you really wanted to play for him. You, you wanted to, you wanted to please him. And so I wouldn't say I was at ground zero, but I was, I did not, I think I was a better player coming out of high school than when I left Notre Dame. I'll say that. And again, when I say that grant, a lot of that is on me because, mm-hmm. again, I've said this to everybody. If I would have worked as hard at Notre Dame as I worked at Arkansas, you know, I would have had a lot more success. So, but I, but I also had the structure and the coaching around me that pushed me to work hard and gave me gave me the. So you know, it, it part of it's on Notre Dame, but you know, just as much of it's on me. And and again, as a young, as a young kid come out of high school you need you need people to, sh- to show you the way and I don't think that's what I was getting at Notre Dame Joe the NBA game is so different than when you played and I <laughs> I, I, I mean it's just unbelievable I mean and you laugh because I understand where you're going with this I have the I've asked the question to a lot of players like I look at a guy like Shaquille O'Neal I say to I say to people if Shaq was coming out of LSU right now would he be able to adapt into the NBA and my oh, the response is well he would have been playing like that as a child he would have been playing like that growing up he would have right. been through AAU been trained different. yeah do you feel the same would have happened to you? Like if you were now yeah. 21 years old, what would Joe Klein look like? Well, no, I would, I would be able to shoot the three. Uh, I'd be able to dribble it a lot better. Uh, you know, I would have a, I would have a more face up game than a back to the basket game, but that's for sure. Probably, you know, still doing weights and strong and everything, but not, not having such an emphasis on being a power player as maybe trying to have more finesse than, than power. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I would think that I would be a lot different from a player's standpoint. This is the first year in history, I just read a stat, that more points are being scored or, or, or more baskets are being scored from beyond the arc than on top of the basket, meaning dunks and layups, which is just yeah. unbelievable to me. I'm not crazy about the way the game's played right now. I, I'm just, I, 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 yeah. I, you know, so what about you? What did you wish you kind of, uh, you know, I, I like, I like aspects of it, Grant, but it's, it's become, everybody does the same thing. And I don't like that. I don't like that in college. I don't like, I like contrast. You know, I, I like, when Boston played the Lakers, the Lakers wanted to go up and down, you know, Boston, not as much. So you had a, you know, whose will is going to prevail when, you, 
when Shaq was playing, you know, we're coming inside the Shaq. Well, you know, we're, we're going to we're going to try to get Shaq out the pick and roll and try to get him away from the basket. You know, whose whose will is going to prevail? And now I don't I don't I don't see that. I see you know just a lot of five out pick and roll, and a, a lot of it. I mean, I still like it because the really really gifted teams with the with the really really gifted players. The, the passing and the things like that, they have more of an open floor to make shots and do things that, that are, that are awesome to see. But I just, I don't like the fact that it's, that everybody is, that, that the big man is not, they're not teaching the lower levels. They're not teaching kids how to play in the post. And, you know, it's so aggravating for me because you know better than I do that, you know, everybody switches everything now defensively, mm-hmm. and it just drives me back. You know what, crazy sure. when you got a seven footer and they switch a point guard onto him, and they don't roll him into the post and just, you know, Joel Embiid. That 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 will be the way he's playing now. <laughs> right, it's like it's like thank God because the way he had played up till this year, he you know I hated his game. I hated to watch him. You know, you could take his game and throw it in the dumpster. Great point. A, a big, I thought it was the biggest waste of talent ever. And kudos to Doc for saying, hey, dude, there ain't nobody in the league that can guard you. Get your ass down there and, and make people pay. And now he's being talked about mm-hmm. as an MVP. Yeah. I just wish more coaches would do that. It's a great point. Last thing for you. You have any regrets when you look back at your career? Oh, Grant, I, I wanted. I wanted it to work in Sacramento. I wanted to be an all-star for Sacramento. I wanted to be a difference maker as a player instead of a role player. I think all players are like that. I wasn't good enough. So when you get to that, you know, I was good. I was damn good, but I wasn't that level good. And so you you, you wish that you could have worked harder or done something different. I mean, you rack your main brain trying to think about it to where you could have maybe been more successful in Sacramento or, or things like that, you know, but because, you know, the thing that was so hard about Sacramento Grant is that, you know, I mean, we, we had sellout crowds every night and we put up, there were some teams out on, that we put out on the floor that were pretty shitty and, and, and I was a part of them. I'm, I'm not pointing at, you know, it was, you know, those four guys were crap and I was great. I mean, I was part of that. And again, that's one thing if you were with the Clippers back then and you're playing and nobody cared, but Sacramento cared. Sacramento mm-hmm. still cares. And so the biggest regret is that there was so much to blame, that, you know, the ownership, the, the management, the coaching and the players, you know, I mean, it, there was enough blame to go and we couldn't, we couldn't get it together and get it right. Like they did when they finally when the, when Petrie got there and they hired Adelman, you know they started doing it right, and it was it was fun for me to watch from afar to to see that finally the sellout crowd had something legitimate to watch and see. So you know that that's a big regret, and I just wish it could have been better in Sacramento because again it was sold out every night, man. They they were there and. They watched some bad teams. <laughs> boy, oh boy. Tell me about it, Joe. <laughs> and hey, and yeah. you, they, didn't, they didn't have to talk about that crap. You had, you had to hey. watch it and talk about it. <laughs> hey, Joe, in my, Joe, in my 32 years of announcing for the Kings, uh, I had the worst record in the NBA, buddy. All right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You will put... Some nights you were putting a lipstick on a pig, man. So, uh, <laughs> Tell me about uh, it. Oh, boy. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, 
Well, you, know, you know what, Joe? They say if you can announce for a bad team, then you can do anything else, man. So that's that's the whole key, right? So. Well, I, I hope I hope you get a chance to get back in. Thank into you, it, Grant, because you, you you do a good job. I really appreciate that. Hey, if I come through Arkansas, if I'm walking in the Corkies and I only have one night there, all right. So you tell me, Mister Owner, what is it that you're going to serve me? What's the recommendation? What is the what is it that Grant Napier is well, going to eat I'm, at Corkies? Oh, one time, dude, coming through, I'm going to give you the combo platter, catfish with dry ribs with Miss Danita's green beans and some twice baked potato salad, and then for dessert, I'm going to throw in a little homemade coconut or chocolate pie, which I'll let you pick. I'm, I'm walking out to the garage right now to get into my car, man. <laughs> hey, hey, Joe, man, I can't tell you, uh, I can't tell you how much, man. It's been great just knowing you for all these decades, and I'm happy that you're doing well. And I really appreciate you coming on the show, man. Uh, my pleasure, Grant. And good luck to you with every anything. If I can help you, please never, never hesitate. So great. Getting caught up with Joe Klein. Really have loved him over the years. Really happy that he is doing so well. Hey, today's podcast is also brought to you by Manscaped. COVID spring break is right around the corner. And you know what that means. Spring break in your pants. Manscaped is here to ensure that the party in your pants never stops. Even Veronica Corningstone wouldn't say no to this pants party. For everyone preparing for a pants party this spring break, I have an exclusive 20% off discount. Just use the code word NAPES, N-A-P-E-S, at manscaped.com. You know, Manscaped is dedicated to helping you level up your full-body grooming game. The Perfect Package 3.0 kit comes with the Essential Lawnmower 3.0 waterproof cordless body trimmer and a ton of other liquid formulations to round out your grooming routine. Folks, this is the best trimmer on the market for those of you in need of a chest or ball shape. Hey, you can also adjust the settings to get a length that you like. You can stay on top of it with almost no effort at all because their third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade. It reduces grooming accidents, and that's thanks to advanced skin safe technology pioneered by Manscaped. Folks, be sure to use their Crop Cleanser Body Wash to keep your hair and skin feeling healthy and fresh. And inside the perfect package, you'll also find the Manscaped Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and an anti-shaving ball deodorant and moisturizer because, hey, we know how painful shaving can be when you're wearing your bathing suit all day. You'll also find the Crop Reviver Ball Toner or Spray-On Testy Toner that's designed to give your boys a little slice of heaven. And for a limited time... Subscribers get two free gifts, the Shed Travel Bag at $39 value, and the patented high-performance reduced chafing Manscaped Boxers. Hey, get 20% off and free shipping with the code NAPES, N-A-P-E-S, at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com using the code NAPES, N-A-P-E-S. Say aloha to your new beautiful balls with Manscaped. Hey, it's now time for our Crowd Ultra question. That's right, Crowd Ultra. Just go to crowdultra.com. Takes about a minute to sign up. I'll tell you, I'm really excited. I'm getting more and more questions uh, each and every podcast, thanks to Crowd Ultra. And again, it is really simple to do. And uh, maybe I will answer your question right here uh, on the podcast. All right, we start with uh, this question from Dave. What do you think of the rumor that Breeze won't play with the Saints next season. Dave, I don't really pay that much attention to rumors. You know, I really don't. Um, I think if Drew Breeze plays, he will play with the Saints. 
Uh, there is some question on whether he is going to retire or not. But if not, uh, I think he'll end his career uh, in New Orleans. Chris wants to know, Grant, do you ever think one day you'll have a co-host on your show? And if so, who would you want to work with the most? It's a great question. I would say no. Uh, I really enjoy doing the podcast by myself, but I would never say never. But right now, as I plan out the future, Chris, I would say highly unlikely. Now, if I could pick anyone to co-host the podcast with me, I think I would pick Sean Salisbury. I think Sean is a dynamic personality and talent. I loved having him on my podcast. I've done a couple of shows with him when I was back in Sacramento, and I think we could kick ass on this forum. So if I could do it with anybody, I really believe that I would pick Sean. Reed wants to know, are you surprised by players declining to participate in All-Star Weekend? No, not at all. Why, why would you want to go to Atlanta and be locked in your hotel room all weekend? No, I'm not surprised at all. Brad wants to know, does J.J. Watt turn the cards into contenders? I don't think so. I mean, J.J. Watt's not the same player that he used to be. Yeah, he's very good. He gets hurt a lot. So, no, I don't think that that all of a sudden puts the Arizona Cardinals uh, as the team to beat in the NFC. John wants to know, do you think the Knicks will make the playoffs? I do. They're 500 as I answer your question. The uh, Eastern Conference is weak. I like what the Knicks have done. You know, Randall's having just an, an amazing year. Tom Thibodeau's doing a hell of a job. Yeah, you know what? Knicks and playoffs don't normally go together, right? <laughs> but I, I think I think that they will. Steven asked, do you agree with Richard Jefferson saying the 2015-19 Warriors were historically disrespectful? You know, the point that he was trying to make is that with the way the game used to be played, if you showboated and rubbed it into your face, you would get knocked on your ass. And, and what Richard was basically saying is you can't do that anymore. And now that the Warriors are down, you know, some teams and particularly older players are pouring it on. I don't necessarily disagree with that. Historically disrespectful. And he did point this out. You know, things are so much different. So that, you know, I, I don't know if I would go along with historically disrespectful, but I understand the point that he was trying to make. Tim wants to know, is CTE used too often? as an excuse for bad behavior. You know what, Tim? I'm not a neurologist. Uh, I, I don't know enough about CTE and the effects. So I will leave that up to the experts. Um, I do believe that CTE has been proven to cause uh, alarming behavior in some. You know, the, we talk about Junior Seau and shooting himself in the chest and uh, when they did the autopsy and the brain was donated for research, um, they found CTE. Uh, it's a real deal, but it's different for everyone based on what I have read. I don't think you can just make a blanket statement. Uh, Martin wants to know, does having no NFL combine make a difference? I'm going to ask people that cover the combine for a living uh, coming up on a podcast here shortly. Personally, I don't think so, but that's just me. Uh, Lou wants to know, have you ever attended spring training? I used to go to spring training every year when I was working at Channel 31. I covered both the A's and the Giants. I've had some very amazing interviews. I remember interviewing Ricky Henderson in the A's dugout once. I used to interview Will Clark all the time, Matt Williams, Jose Canseco, Tony La Russa, you know, Roger Craig. Um, I'll never forget this. When Roger Craig was the manager of the Giants, just to show you 
how times have changed. Again, this is pre-cell phone. This is pre-internet. And Roger Craig, the manager of the Giants, is in the dugout in Scottsdale. And there's probably 30 members of the media around him doing, you know, a quick press conference. And this had been an abbreviated spring training uh, because of uh, a labor situation. So spring training, I think, was only like two weeks. May have been a little longer, but it wasn't long. And somebody asked Roger, they go, Roger, with uh, spring training being uh, so short this season, are their players allowed to bring their wives and girlfriends? And Roger looks at the reporter and goes, yeah, as long as they don't bring them at the same time. Now, can you imagine if a manager said that today? I mean, seriously, can you just imagine the news that that would make? Kevin wants to know, in your opinion, who is the greatest female athlete of all time? Wow. That's a fabulous question. I mean, I got to put Serena Williams right up there near the very top of the list. I mean, I'd have to put her, if she's not, she's right up there. I mean, there have been... Yeah, that, that's a great question. Uh, let me do a little more research on that. But just off the top of my head, uh, I'm probably going to put, you know, Serena on there. There have been some amazing track and field athletes. There have been some uh, amazing gymnasts. Um, that's a great question. Uh, let me give let me give that uh, some more thought. That's very good, though. I like that. All right. Uh, more questions. Jackson wants to know, was firing Lloyd Pierce the right choice? Well, the Atlanta Hawks thought so. And as I read this, they played great under Nate McMillan. They only have one loss. They've had a couple of big-time wins. So right now it looks like the right choice. And, you know, the Athletic came out with a big story talking about how he had lost the locker room, had issues with Trey Young. So right now, yeah, certainly looks like it was the right move. But I'm not within the Atlanta Hawks organization. I don't know the inside story. But I love Nate McMillan. I've always thought Nate McMillan is a heck of a coach. Thanks very much for all the questions via Crowd Ultra. Just go to CrowdUltra.com. It's time for Rant. 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 Today's rant is brought to you by New Works Plumbing. Locally owned in Sacramento for 20 years. Leak detection, water line repair, bathroom plumbing. New Works Plumbing is a full service plumbing solution. No matter how small or how large your plumbing problem, they've got a fix for you. And folks, their expert technicians are available 24-7 for all of your plumbing needs. Just go to newworksplumbing.com for all of your plumbing needs. That's N-E-W-W-R-X plumbing.com. You know, I keep on hearing from Kings fans that they want to tank and they want to lose every game. And I say, you know what? Not so fast. Because you can't just count on the draft to turn your franchise around. Let me give you a great example of this, all right? The Kings, in their draft picks this year, had the 12th pick, and they took Tyrese Halliburton, right? And he may end up being the rookie of the year. Whereas two years ago, Marvin Bagley now in his third year, but two drafts before Halliburton, they took Marvin Bagley second. And obviously that was the wrong choice. But if you want to think about building your team through the draft, and that's the way to do it, I'm going to give you exhibit A, the Phoenix Suns, who are currently, if you can believe this, the second best team record-wise in the Western Conference. And yet 
their drafting has been horrible. If you go back to 2016, they took Dragon Bender fourth overall in the first round, bust. The De'Aaron Fox draft, where De'Aaron went fifth to Sacramento, the Phoenix Suns took Josh Jackson one pick ahead of Fox at number four, bust, all right? Then the year after, the Marvin Bagley draft, they took DeAndre Ayton. Now, DeAndre Ayton's a hell of a player, averaging a double-double, comes to play every night, but they could have taken Luka Doncic, and if the draft were held all over again, you know damn well they would have taken Luka Doncic. Then the year after, in 2019, their pick went to Minnesota, Jared Culver, and this year they had the 10th overall pick in the draft. They took Jalen Smith, who barely plays. So again, if you want to just look at the Phoenix Suns, bust in 2016 with the fourth overall pick. One year later, 2017 bust, fourth overall pick, Josh Josh Jackson. DeAndre Ayton, very good player, but again, they didn't take the right guy. And Jalen Smith, 10th overall, barely even plays. So Kings fans, hold your freaking horses, would you? About tanking every game and thinking that just because you're going to be in the lottery and maybe you're going to get a really good draft pick, that you're going to end up being, like, great? You're going to end up being the Phoenix Suns? No, doesn't work like that. And and, and by the way, speaking of the Phoenix Suns, the year before they took Dragon Bender, that was the Devin Booker draft in 2015, and they got him with the 13th overall pick. Once again, on his way to All-Star Weekend in Atlanta, coming up this weekend. I mean, again, folks, be careful what you wish for. And the Phoenix Suns are a great example. They've done a horrible job drafting. Absolutely awful. But yet they've managed somehow, some way, to have the second best team record-wise in the Western Conference. While the Sacramento Kings are just treading water and they're actually sinking. They're drowning. All right? And, And look at all the draft picks they've had. How's that worked out for them? Thank you very much. That's my point. And that's my rant for today. Hey, hope you enjoyed the podcast. Thank you so much. Really enjoyed talking with Joe. What a a great guy. Really, truly one of my all-time favorites in all my years of doing this job. Folks, make it a great weekend. Thank you so much, as always, for checking us out right here. If you don't like that, with Grant Napier.